podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Spectacular. How are you doing yourself? I am tremendous. Tremendous. We have rumbling news today about Darwin Nunes to Liverpool. The purpose of this podcast was to be a discussion around replacements for Sadio, and we will get to more of that. But Paul Joyce, James Pearce, Dominic King and others have reported that Liverpool are very interested in Darwin Nunes, that Darwin would prefer a move to Liverpool, which follows on from what your colleague Miguel Delaney reported, I think, last week, that Nunes' preference was Liverpool. There is now reports coming out of Portugal that a deal is, if not done, certainly close to done. Putting aside the fee, and we'll talk about that in a sec, what are your thoughts on Darwin Nunes as a signing for Liverpool both as an individual player and what he might mean in terms of a change of shape? So I don't think that it has to mean a change of shape, first of all, because we've seen players come in who are capable of playing multiple roles. We've seen Jurgen Klopp not necessarily use them in the role that they played most of all elsewhere. And we've seen Darwin Nunez play from the left-hand side as well. So, yes, we would definitely expect if he's a... A Mane replacement, so to speak, that he's going to play more or less from uh, the centre-forward's role. But he can play from the left. And we've seen Diaz play through the middle. And we've seen Jota play left and through the middle and on the right-hand side as well. So it definitely continues this trend of having a very versatile uh, forward line. Players who can make runs off the ball and fill in for each other elsewhere. Honestly, the most important, not important, sorry, the most interesting part of this for me is that very, very quickly, as soon as Julian Ward has taken over, we seem to be looking a lot more at Portugal, Portuguese-based players, um, basically his area of expertise. It's not something that we did loads before bringing, you know, we were always linked with Porto and Benfica players, but we never really seemed Mm. to make that move, but... This is his first summer. He was involved during uh, the, the summer transfer window last year and the January transfer window, of course, once the handover was underway. And already that's going to be from the two bigger sides in Portugal that we've taken probably their best player. And it's a, it's not a definitive thing. It doesn't mean that we're always going to. It could be completely coincidental. It just seems very, very intriguing to me that this is his area where he worked most closely before and straight away we've gone into that market. And we do, of course, have two coaches on our staff who spent most of their careers in Portugal as well and likely established some good contacts at different Portuguese clubs. Obviously, they work together at Porto, but 
just through meeting other coaches and things like that, they'll have become aware of different things. So it does seem like we are now more open to the Portuguese market, which is a good thing. The Portuguese league has gotten a lot stronger over the last couple of seasons. And we saw, we've seen in the FIFA coefficient ranking that it is, or the UEFA coefficient ranking, rather it is now rated above the French league. So if you're talking about the top five leagues in Europe, the Portuguese league is actually one of the top five leagues in Europe. Bringing in Luis Diaz in January, bringing in Darwin now, obviously does point to us being more open to that that league as a source of of talent. I also think the fact that both Diaz and Darwin have impressed in the Champions League will have given them, you know, more food for thought because that's showing they can perform at the highest level. Now, I would say that this past season we saw a change in shape anyway. I know the TV graphics showed 4-3-3 and we talk about the team we often listed as a 4-3-3, but in possession, Fabinho and Thiago acted as a double pivot. And if it was Henderson playing the, the third midfield role, he did play, well, often as a second striker and often on the right wing. Harvey Elliott played it as a right winger. And Naby often played it as a number 10. So in possession, we were very much playing 4 whatever you want to, to tag it down as. And out of possession, oftentimes either Naby or uh, Henderson would be the primary central presser, pressing centre-backs, not holding a midfield shape of a three. So I do think, and I've said this to you for years, I think Klopp has wanted to get back to 4-2-3-1. I think in the summer of 2018, that was his plan, trying to sign Nabil Fakir to go Fakir, Firmino and Mane behind Salah. He spoke in the preseason about how all the forwards were going to have new roles. And obviously we didn't get Fakir, but he did bring in Shakiri, and we went through a run of games with Shakiri on the right, Mane on the left and Mo up front. And it worked. In fact, the only player that didn't perform well in that shape was the one we all assumed would take to it easiest, which is Bobby. Bobby was a letdown in that role, and Bobby has often been a letdown when played as a number 10 for us. I think we are going to see a more attacking shape from Liverpool next season. I think we're going to see less 4-3-3, even on your TV graphics. I think we're going to see more 4-2-3-1, potentially 4-2-4, 4-4-2. And I think Darwin is part of that. Now, as a player, like you said, he can play from the left, but he does predominantly play through the middle. There are definitely shades of Torres about him, the way he drops wide, picks the ball up, takes players on, his movement. He's not as graceful as Nando. Nando was a very special type of athlete, but he's more powerful. He's got a bustly, powerful side of him that reminds me of Diego Costa when he was playing at Atletico Madrid. Do you remember when we were linked with him the first time? And it turned out he was just using us to get a new contract. He was largely playing from the left at the time. And Darwin reminds me of somewhere of a, somewhat of a cross between Diego Costa, that powerful, bustly nature, and Torres's speed, touch, grace, nous in the box, finishing instincts. So I think he's coming to play up through the middle, obviously, like you. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to play as one of two up front or if he's going to play with someone tucked in behind him. How would you feel about me positing Darwin Salah two up top? I think Darwin Salah. I think Darwin and Salah is a partnership that will work. I was thinking with this, and I was talking to was it Raj? I think I was talking to Raj on Twitter one of the days about this partnership, and it reminds me in some ways of when Simeone played Costa and Griezmann, where Griezmann played just off Costa, but would endlessly run beyond him and use Costa more as a focal point, but also a decoy. He would occupy centre-backs and it would create massive amounts of space for Griezmann. And it got me thinking about that Atletico Madrid team, where at times it was Arda Turan, then it became Yannick Carrasco. They'd be an outlet left winger. Well, Luis Diaz could be that. There was a double pivot in midfield. And then... Koke played that odd sort of tucked in on the right-hand side kind of role where he was a central midfielder but playing as a right-sided midfielder but playing quite narrow. And if it were Naby, that's the type of role I could see him play. Or if we were to bring in someone else for that position, I could see us doing something like that, a more attack-minded version, obviously, of what Atletico Madrid were doing, but somewhat in that shape. Or it could be that an out-and-out winger comes in. Now, that's, again... We'll wait and see. But I do think Salah up top alongside Nunes is something that will work and work well. And we've seen with Darwin, like he's played a lot of his football as part of a front two. He's very comfortable. When Salah came to us, it was off the back of that season with Roma, where yes, he played high and wide in the right, but it was a front two. It was him and Jekyll. Now, Darwin doesn't have Jekyll's ability as a link player. Not yet. Jekyll was truly elite at that side of things. But it got me thinking that Salah playing a bit narrower. And the other thing I've been thinking of, and I've I've heard this from somebody, that one of the things Salah wants is he wants to play more central. He wants to be more of a striker. He believes he's got more chance of winning a Ballon d'Or if he plays through the middle more. So if we are looking to tie him down and you know we want to give him what he wants, maybe that is what he wants. Maybe Salah wants to play through the middle alongside a number nine like Darwin. And Darwin can take a lot of the physical side of things and it will create a ton of space for Salah. We've also seen this past season with Salah's creativity taking up a notch. He's been almost like a number 10 playing on that wing as well. So if you move him centrally and now he's got three players moving around him, Darwin, Diaz and whoever's on that right-hand side, maybe you unlock new things at Mo. On Darwin Nunez in particular, where are you rating his heading ability? And I'm talking here about the movement off the ball to find the space for the header as well as the execution of it. The movement off the ball is very good. He's very, very clever at finding even a half yard of space. He doesn't have, like when I watch, say, Victor Simeon and I watch balls in towards him, he's got this unbelievable burst of spring 
where he just rises above centre-backs and sort of hangs there in the air and awaits the ball. Darwin doesn't have that, but he's got a really good ability to create that little bit of space. Execution-wise, it's good, not always perfect. Like, he's got a, he can head in a variety of ways. He can flick on, he can generate his own power, he can just take the power off the ball and transfer it, he can send the ball back, the directions come, he can do all those different things. It's just a matter of doing it more consistently. And one of the things he's lacked at Benfica is he has lacked that consistent elite delivery. So oftentimes you see him straining for balls and, you know, having to try and make something out of something that's less than ideal. I think it's there. I I think he's a much better header of the ball than Erling Haaland, for example. And all I've heard for weeks is that Haaland's Haaland's going to feast off crosses from De Bruyne. Erling Haaland's not nearly as good in the air as people think he is. Certainly not for a fella of his size. Darwin is better in the air than him. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into a comparison of nines, obviously, but what I'm thinking here is if we're looking at the sort of that evolution of that midfield again, maybe to go to a two-man attack, and not necessarily a two-up-top, that's probably not what we'll do, but I'm thinking here, split forwards with Darwin spending so much time running the left channel, obviously Salah spends most of his time running from the right channel, it kind of leaves that gap in the middle that you want to be able to play in uh, with the the eights or with one of the wide forwards coming in field, that sort of thing. But in particular with Trent, you know, for a long time, up until maybe the last 18 months or so when we started moving him a little bit more centrally again, a lot of his deliveries came from quite deep, quite wide, and it was always looking towards Mane running in from that left-hand side, Robbo running in from the left-hand side. So it's probably predominantly going to be Trent Feed and Darwin Nunez making those sorts of runs if this all goes through and you know the, the bids happen as we expect them to go through and all the rest of it. So having somebody who can be able to anticipate those runs, be able to produce off the end of them as well, because we know Trent's going to be on the money with his delivery more often mm. than not. And that is, as good as it is that you you know, you know make big signings and people have the capacity to score all kinds of goals, you've got to have them be able to score the goals from the supply line, which already exists. It's not like we're going to be bringing in three creative players to, to feed him as well. We have our way of playing already, and it's the new addition in attack who has to be capable of making the most of what's already there. So in terms of link play, I think Salah is very, very good at that. We'll probably have um, plenty of the other forwards playing in and around them as well. There'll be lots of rotation in the first half of next season. You can expect that as normal. But one or two of our constants are like Trent and his deliveries. And I'm not talking about here about the set pieces, obviously, but in play, falls into the final third, bending crosses from deep around the defence, I think we've got to be really, really sure if Darwin's the one we're going for, that Darwin's the one who can make the most of that. Yeah, I think so. And I was thinking about this the other day as well. Like that that ball you're talking about in open play where Trent sort of at halfway or just a little bit inside his own half bends it sort of in behind the right side centre back of the opposition for that run on the blind side. And we saw Jota take advantage of a few of them this season. It's very much, it's the Gerrard to Torres or even before that Gerrard to Owen type of ball. That ball in behind that just is a complete game change and a real field stretcher. The one player I actually think will benefit the most from signing Darwin is Luis Diaz. 
Because Luis Diaz is very good in the air. And we haven't really taken advantage of that yet. And if we can get Darwin attracting centre-backs and maybe causing two centre-backs to go with him, and Diaz can isolate on a full-back, there's very few full-backs in England that'll beat Luis Diaz in the air if the cross is where it's meant to be. And as you said, Trent's crosses end up where they're meant to be. Like, the guy is obnoxiously good. He's after De Bruyne, I think he's the best crosser in the Premier League and probably the second best crosser in Europe after Kevin De Bruyne. So if those type of balls in play from set pieces, from crosses, whatever situation, if Darwin is at least occupying, if he has that threat of being great in the air, that will occupy defenders and I think it will create more chances for, for Diaz. And also on the other side... If he can occupy centre-backs and create chances for Salah of secondary balls, if he can just occupy those centre-backs and force them to head a ball down where they don't want to head it, that type of thing. Like, Sadio's good in the air. Jota's excellent in the air. But if they don't win the ball, they don't really make defenders' lives all that difficult. Jota's great at heading the ball with a little bit of space. He doesn't really contest with defenders all that well he doesn't have the physicality of the size Darwin does so I think that will add a new a new thing as well we'll get a lot more second ball opportunities in and around the edge of the box which can only be good when you've got players with really good instincts like Diaz like Salah when you've got a Thiago striding onto the ball on the edge of the box who can strike it first time and then whoever that other player is whether it's a right winger, whether it's an attacking midfielder, whether it's a right sided eight who plays, you know, through the middle, whatever. If those players are getting on to the end of second balls, that's going to generate a lot of goals. So what we may see is even if Darwin himself doesn't score us 30 goals next season, his presence might give us 30 goals next season with the goals he'll get and the goals he'll create, some of which will be sort of uh, indirect creation, like where he challenges a centre-back who doesn't get a good connection on the ball and it drops to the edge of the box, things like that. What would be your single biggest, uh, not, not fear, but let's say concern over what Darwin has done so far or what he's capable of doing on a regular basis? So when I was when I started watching Darwin, he was at Almeria, and I start, that's when I started watching him regularly. And I think I mentioned him on on a scouted back then, like that this, this is someone to keep an eye on. He has most of everything you'd want. Now there are areas in his game that are weaker than others, but I've seen people describe him as a limited player, and it's just not true. There are areas of his game, such as his passing, such as his decision-making, that are limited, but only because they haven't been developed yet. There's nothing about his game that he just flat-out can't do. Like You look at certain other strikers, and you, you know like they just can't do certain things. I don't see that with him. I don't see a weakness in his game. I see areas for development, but nothing where there's just nothing to work with. The only concern, the only concern I really have with him is it took him a year to really get going with Benfica 
Like that four, that first season, he got 14 goals in 44 games. And there was some concern about whether or not they spent a lot of money on a player who wasn't going to, you know, reach what they had expected from him. They spent, I think they spent 24 million euro on him. Um, my only concern is it might take him a year to settle. That's the one concern I have. But I still think even if it takes him a year to fully find his feet, with the service he'll get at Liverpool and with his sort of relentless nature, I still think he'll get goals. There's there's a bit of menace about him. There's a bit of dog in him. There's, this is a guy who's overcome some shit in his life. And I've said this to you before. Give me lads that have overcome some shit in their lives over lads that have had things plain sailing the whole way through. I think we look at that as a club. Lads that have had to overcome and battle to get to where they are. I think we value that a lot more than, you know, players that grew up, the sons of players, had a very cushy lifestyle, got into a top academy and were just given the best of everything all the way along. Nunes hasn't had that. And he's had to overcome a severe injury already in his career. So I, I think I don't think there's anything really to be overly concerned. Like I say, there's areas of his game that need work. It might take him a year to fully start to feel at home, but I think he'll get goals either way. I think one really good thing that we have done previously, which we both expected to happen with Luis Diaz and didn't really, was that they obviously get integrated a little bit slower here mm. than they do elsewhere. I could definitely see the case for that with our Nunez, especially when you consider with the World Cup coming up and we've got people like Roberto Firmino, for example, up until this season, an absolute machine, barely missed a minute, always in the lineup, all that kind of stuff. And then this year, you know, he played fewer than a thousand minutes in the Premier League, lowest league uh, contribution for however many years since it's probably since he was back in Brazil to be honest um, he has lost his place in the Brazil squad and mm. obviously that's something that he's going to be presumably thinking about between now and December but you can definitely make the case at the very least like if Darwin Nunes doesn't have to come into the team or whoever it is that we sign doesn't have to come into the team straight away doesn't have to be a first choice if everybody else is fit for the start of next season You've got someone there in Firmino, like you said, not always as a number 10, out and out number 10 that he thrive, but in the two-man attack, when we've played you know, one-on-one-off or when he's been able to play alongside somebody late in games, he does look really, really good. As long as Firmino's got good movement around him and he's on his game, he's not drunk Bobby turning up for the match, yeah. then he's, he is really, really good with, it, with, with loads of support around him. The, the first He's, two touches are always key with Bobby. You always <laughs> know what Bobby you're getting, whether, yeah. whether the touch is, is nice and controlled and subtle or it bounces off them. And like you said, he's like a piss head chasing after his chips on the floor. <laughs> yes, if, if, if the first touch is an attempted back heel, which actually comes off his forehead, we know we're in for a, a rough 30 or 40 minutes or so. But across the course of the next, let's assume preseason starts in okay fashion for everybody. If you get Bobby Firmino fit and you start playing him again at the start of next season and he's involved and he's maybe scoring nicely like he did at the start of this season, just finished. One, he gets himself back full confidence and full fitness and we've got another really good rotation option. Two, 
you haven't got to rush Darwin Nunez and he can adapt and fit in and know the role that he needs to be playing perfectly. Maybe Firmino then also gets himself back into the Brazil squad. By the time the World Cup comes around, obviously you've got everybody going away, so we can't really guess beyond that. But after that sort of four or five month period is when people like Canate last season, for example, starts mm. making their way into the team. He barely played in the Premier League, Canate, before Christmas, yet has ended the season as would say undisputably first choice given the games he did start uh, at the back end of the campaign so I could definitely see the case for like I say with with Nunez or a centre forward in particular not having to be rushed into the side even if we do switch around the the system or the areas the pitch that we play in possession with we've got enough there now where you could say like Jota for example starts every game he might be back in really really good form and scoring goals again and as a number nine as a poacher as someone who's going to play in that left-sided role or left-half spaces or anything like that. We already know he can do a good enough job there to be starting against the majority of Premier League teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, that's the thing. We do have options. Like, losing Mane is not the end of the world. We've still got three really good attackers who are in their prime years, plus Bobby, who has been super reliable and offers something very, very different. So... We've still got really good options, even without um, without Sadio. And there's no real reason to rush forward with, with Darwin and say, right, he has to start every game. Because one thing we know is that Klopp doesn't care how much you cost. So just because you cost $85 million or And first, let's, let's just be clear. I don't believe it'll be that much. I think it'll be quite a bit less um, up front anyway. Klopp won't feel any pressure internally to have to start him every single game to begin with. I think they will look at it as a thing of when everybody comes back from the World Cup, that's when we really want to have Darwin humming along. And in the meantime, there'll be, you know, spot starts here and there in the league. There'll be some cup games. There'll be Champions League games because he might be more comfortable in some of those the same way Kanate was. He'll come off the bench. And with five subs next year, it's even better for Klopp in a way to integrate him in. So like you said, if Bobby is starting, you do Bobby for 60, Darwin for 30. Then the following week, maybe you do Bobby for 45, Darwin for 45. Things like that. So you can get him his minutes. He just doesn't necessarily have to be starting every game. And the one thing I really like about Nunes is the types of goals he scores. Because... There is no type of goal he scores. He scores them all. He scores the ones where he picks the ball up wide left, cuts in field, and lasers it into the top corner. And then he scores the one where he scuffs it into the bottom corner. And then he scores the one where he gets in between two defenders and heads it into the corner. And then he scores the one where he beats two players and fools the goalkeeper by going back across himself. That's what I like about him. He can score all type of goals. When I look at our current players, there's there's Sadio goals. There's Jota goals. There's Mo goals. I, I don't know. I think Darwin is more of a... I think as a poacher, he's got something they don't have. I think it's in part because he's a natural striker and none of the others are. Jota was a winger. Mo was a winger. Mane was a winger, Diaz is a winger. Like He's more of an all-rounder in and around the penalty box, which is something we haven't had. Bar Divock, 
And the way I look at this is that Divock and Sadio are being replaced in one go. Because what Divock's real value to us has been over the last couple of seasons is just that something different, that more physical presence, that guy that can just be a bit of a pain in the arse. So if he gives us that plus what Sadio, well, he won't give us what Sadio is giving us because obviously very different players, but if he replaces Sadio's minutes and goals and gives us a bit of what Divock was offering, I think we're getting exactly what we lack. If we do make this move towards more of a two-man attack, or you know whether it's forty-three, I don't really care what you label it as. Basically, it's two slightly wider attackers and two central forwards, um, roving and rotating all the rest of it. My one slight concern there is that we have been a team who really, really shared the goals around. Like the midfield, obviously, didn't for about two, three years score too many goals, but I would say that over the last couple of campaigns they've been back up to a, a normal level you know Navi's pitched in with a couple more uh, Javier Elliott probably would have scored a few more if he hadn't got injured because he got himself a goal and was just starting to make his way Cats Jones a couple Henderson a couple Diago a couple it's it's not terrible there from midfield like it's it not good though either Carl like no, that's no, no, not it's not good it's not good but again we do still share them around like between the fullbacks the centre-backs being far more capable than the centre-mids chipping in. I'm saying the midfielders have increased what they were because at one point it was basically Milner will score a penalty or nobody will score from midfield. It's it's a little bit beyond that now. And obviously then we had three forwards scoring as well. If we go to a two-man attack, I do kind of feel like that places a lot more emphasis on them to be much more regular goal scorers because I don't think that, let's say it's Diaz and... Basically, that's the third midfield slot, isn't it? Pushed out to the right-hand side, whether it's Henderson mm. or Elliot or whoever. I don't think that they're going to suddenly become eight and nine goal a season players because they're playing in that slightly different role. They, they might. Well, I don't think it's either. I don't think it'll be no. one of them. I think it's going to be someone else. Okay, so even if it's a new addition, though, I'm saying they're not going to. That role is not suddenly going to be a you know double figures goal. Kind of. How do you know? Oh, well, how do you, how know. can you say that? I don't like you don't know that. If, what if what if Rafinha is the signing or Serge Gnabry? You're but telling me they can't they get double figures? No, no, of course they can, but I don't think that it would remotely be them because of who we have behind them, which is Trent. It doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Of course it works. No, of course so. it works. How does it not work? How does Serge Gnabry, one of the best right wingers in the world, not work with Trent behind him? Like Trent doesn't overlap. Trent is going to play. That yeah, narrower role that he plays anyway. And the best, yeah. Serge Gnabry, played with Joshua Kimmich behind him. And the closest right-back comparison to Joshua Kimmich is Trent. Yeah, but How then does there's that still not work? somebody else, because then there's still somebody else covering in that side of the pitch, and there wouldn't be in this. Who was covering? Well, if Kimmich was playing right-back, then they would have had Javi Martinez at that point probably being the cover. No, they didn't. They had Thiago and they had Goretzka. You're telling me Fabinho and Thiago can't do what Thiago and Goretzka could do? You're telling me that... Of course they can. They can, but I'm saying that they they can't cover that right side? No, you need more than one person. Nicholas Sewell, who has no knees? You need more than one person to do it more often, especially the way that we play. You do. I think we do. Especially the way we've always, always... We don't play the the same way as we did four years ago. No, but we don't play the way that Bayern did either. We play a lot closer to what Bayern played than what we did four years ago. Our this past season ball is a lot more close than that is, and it's a lot more than what Hansi flicked it. Yeah, uh, 
no, no, not even with Hansi, Hansi Flick. Flick's, Hansi Flick, he didn't Hansi have, Flick's system right was back. based off what Klopp did at Dortmund. What Klopp does it now is based off what he did at Dortmund. There is absolutely no way Serge Gnabry on the right side of this attack doesn't get double figures goals. Diaz will get double figures goals. <laughs> I, d- I don't deny you're taking, would, you're taking. I don't think it'll the, be that kind of player who comes in to play that role at all. I don't. We'll see. Hmm? And we might not even go to that. We might not even go to the four across. I just don't. If see but, it, personally. But that's fine. But you, you tried to tell me for years that there'd been no signs that Klopp wanted to go four two three one despite having the Beal Fakir in the building to sign him. So you know. Anyway. What in your opinion is a good price for this Uruguayan boy? Mm, that's a tricky one. Because th- this, <laughs> this is where it comes down, where the rubber meets the road, because all the reports... Now, actually, you'll know this, because you, you work in, in the media. You are a journalist. So all the reports, basically, from David Lynch yesterday to Joyce today and Pierce today, etc., basically had a very similar line. Liverpool have no interest in getting involved in a bidding war and Liverpool don't want to pay 85 million. Is that the club putting that to the journalists and saying, look, push this. We want to make our stance quite clear. We're not going to have a bidding war here. We want Benfica to come to the table at our terms. I think it kind of has to be, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's usually the case that when so many of them come out at the same time, it has been as part of a briefing and the numbers all to match up so much. And now today we've got the, the Portuguese and the Spanish media are largely saying along the same lines. Most of them seem to be saying a total value of 100 million euros, so 85 million pound. Uh, it's too neat, isn't it, obviously, for it to just be nothing at all and... At the same time, I can't help but feel that that is quite a high price. Now, we don't mind doing that when they are absolutely the one that we have to have. Mm. But I would be really surprised if Liverpool didn't have at least another couple of players who they could realistically get the same um, on-pitch performance from right now that Darwin Nunez has, leaving aside what they think they can coach out of him and improve and all the rest of it, what he offers right now. In the shorter term. Yeah, across the next, let's say, 24 months. Beyond that, who knows what would happen. He could explode at the age of 24 and be you know, better than whichever player you want to pick. Of course. So this the, feels the like other a thing, lot of money for me for, the, for what he is at the moment. It does. That's the thing. And in that David Lynch piece, which was yesterday on Liverpool.com, the way it was worded was quite interesting to me. So he didn't say, you know, Liverpool have alternative targets. He said Liverpool have better value alternative targets, which said to me that Liverpool might be looking at this and thinking, right, well, if we think we, we want Darwin because we think Darwin at, say, 60 million with some add ons is better value than, let's just say, Victor Simeon at 85 million. But if we're going to pay 85 million, Victor Simeon makes more sense to us. Not necessarily that player, but do you know what I mean by that? Like, that if the price point is going that high, 
there might be somebody else that we've looked at and thought, well, if we're playing that much for him, we might as well just pay it for him because we think he's the better player. Yeah, I thought that word was really interesting because when you say that there are, uh, uh, you know, the better value, you're not saying same quality. You're saying that the the amount that they're going to be paying for him is relative to the amount of quality on show. And if there's better value, then that indicates that there is a better, uh, sorry, a, another player which is available where the value of the transfer is closer to the value of the player or the quality of the player, which isn't necessarily of the same quality as Darwin Nunez. Could be mm. more, it could be less, you know. If a Simeon is, you know, by the numbers that Liverpool come up with themselves, a 90 million euro player and happily say they want 95 million euro for him, that's very, very good value. You know, yeah. you're only paying 5 million over the odds. That's not really the same as saying if we can't get um, Darwin Nunez for 80, 85 million, then we'll go for someone for 70 million. Because if we only think that they're 40 million, that's not worth value. Uh, not so exactly. it, doesn't, it doesn't really specify or absolutely indicate that we will get someone who is the same as him. You know, it could well be that they think if they can't get this guy who they think is the one that they want, that's fine. If that's Darwin, then you go with it. But if they can't get him, there's no telling that it, it is not going to be the case that they go for someone who is going to be effectively another Takimino, you know, because he's going to be yeah. better value. He's going to be someone who can contribute to the squad and they're only going to pay a squad level fee for him. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like, he didn't say there was more, there were other, he wouldn't use these words, he didn't say there were any, there were cheaper targets and things like that. He, I thought he was quite specific with how he worded it in that he, he left it sort of open to interpretation and left it quite quite wide ranging. Um, the original purpose of this pod before uh, the Darwin stuff started to come out today was basically to look at other options it, and include well I, I assume you have Darwin I know I have Darwin on my list it was players basically to replace Sadio Mane and how would you go about doing that so did you have Darwin in your shortlist I did I went for a bit of a mix of my shortlist so I went for like a couple of wider forwards one versatile option and a couple of actual nines both of which we've spoken yeah. about today it's it's Seaman and it's uh, Nunez right so I have those two as well so my list was basically two out, traditional number nines, I suppose we can call them, Osimian and Darwin. I went with two non-traditional number nines and then one wide option, which was to move Mo central anyway, um, regardless of, of what else happens. And, and that was with my thinking that, you know, maybe the other player that comes in is a 10, maybe someone that's going to play as an attacking midfielder. So we went through our midfield lists uh, last week, and obviously I mentioned uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savage, I mentioned um, Dominic and Lovre-Mayer, all of whom could play as a 10. Um, so let's let's look then at the other three names that you've got, or however many you have. Give me your first one. Who, who else is on your shortlist to come in and replace Sadio if it's not to be uh, Mr. Nunes? All right, so I started looking through a few numbers and to see if anyone immediately jumped out at me. Uh, the first one who did jump out at me was, not in a good way, actually, it was Zlatan Ibrahimovic, made a grand total of zero tackles last season. So he's off the list for a number of reasons. 
How did he go through an entire season, win the league, and not make a single tackle? It, it blew my mind, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, um, moving on aside from that, I went for um, someone who we have been linked with before, who can play through the middle and wide, who has a fairly decent goal-scoring record when he's in form, and is really, really high up on final third pressures. Uh, he's top six across the whole of Europe. By itself doesn't mean everything, because top of this particular statistic was Timo Pukki. Again, probably not someone we're going to go for, but Oli Watkins. Yeah. I mean, Oli's an interesting one. And Oli... I mean, Oli is... When, when I mentioned Diego Costa with Darwin earlier, Oli is basically Diego Costa, just he's from England and not from Brazil. He started life playing wide. He's big, he's bustly. He's not a great finisher, but he works like a demon. He's got good hold-up play. His finishing is inconsistent, but when it's when he clicks, it really does fire from quite well. Um, in a two, I really like the idea of Ollie Watkins. Now, I don't know if I like it as much for us, but... If Mo was signed on long term and we knew we had Mo for the next four or five years, Ollie Watkins to do all the physical stuff and go and bat our centre backs around the place, partnered with Mo. I mean, that's that's not necessarily a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, I I, I quite like the fact that Watkins is really really good in the channels. Like a lot of his closing mm. down, a lot of his ball work, a lot of his hold up play. It doesn't come through right through the middle. It comes down both channels. He's decent at running. Against either fullback, he's obviously good at covering if anyone's out of position down that side of the pitch as well. I do like the fact that as well, when he's in a hot streak, he, he can get really, really hot. Obviously, we know that from him coming up against us more than once in the past. But I think that his ceiling is quite considerably lower than a lot of the people that we've been linked with as well. I mean, I do like Watkins and I think he's really good as a mobile forward and his all-round technique is pretty high as well. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that he would be any better than, let's say, the maximum that Jota could get to. And as I've said before, I don't think that Jota is ever going to be of the highest level that our original front three were, let's say. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. And I think Jota's best role for us is, you know, if we play a front three, he's the fourth starter. He's the first backup in all three positions. If we play a front four, he's the first backup across all three position, all four positions. He's the fifth starter in that role. And I think Watkins is about the same. Um, I, I wonder if Ollie Watkins just is what he is. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to come from Ollie Watkins other than what we already see. He might refine certain parts of his game. But, yeah, I, I think his ceiling is quite low. Um, but he is definitely a good player. Like if if he sticks at Villa this year, which is what I expect, I I do want to see them go and buy a nine to play with him, and and almost use him as a nine and a half that works both channels either side. That's why I thought Danny Ings was a really bizarre signing because Danny Ings likes to work both channels on either side of a nine. Like when he was really firing at Southampton, it was playing with Che Adams who'd play through the middle, and Ings would work on the margins around him. And then when he played at Watkins, they just ran into the same kind of spaces. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ollie Watkins is, is without question a good player. Of course, there will be 
uh, an English tax on him. And with seven England caps, he is obviously a, a, an England international. So that itself will add to the price tag. They paid 28 million rising to 33 with add-ons for him. What would be your comfort point with him? Like, at what point are you looking at him and thinking, right, that's gone too far? Is it 45? Is it 50? Would you go over that? For Watkins? Yeah. Uh, no, I'd probably look at the sort of Canate Diaz sort of price range as my. As you little cut bit off on more. Them. Yeah, plus a little bit more because of, you know, English Premier League tax, that kind of thing. But Got to pay for that passport. Mm. You think those passports come free? Apparently not. About what forty ish? Yeah, if you could get them for forty with some add-ons, uh, if, it, if, ba- if it was quite considerably staggered with add-ons to go, let's say, to the forty-five fifty, I'd be all right with that. If, if that then means that he contributes to a lot more trophies and everything. Yeah, and if you put like the same kind of add-ons that Bayern are apparently putting in their offers for Sadio, where if he wins three straight Ballon d'Ors, uh, six, six million up front and a hundred million if he wins the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, just once. Doesn't even need to win it many other times. Oh, Bayern Munich, not a serious football club. Who knew? Um, right, my first one then is who I thought would be your first one, because I know you love this guy. But if we were looking to play a three-man front line with Mo on the right and Diaz on the left, Christopher Nkunku as the quote-unquote false nine uh, successor to Bobby and Sadio was one I thought would be worthy of strong consideration. He's my number one, so I was going in reverse order, but perfectly happy to do uh, in Kunku now. I think no, no, we'll, we'll, no, we'll, we'll we'll wait and come back to him. We'll wait and come back to him. <laughs> he's your number one because he's going to be the longest conversation, I think. Right. So I'll give you my next one then, Latura Martinez. Again, a kind of non-traditional number nine, but can play through the middle. I think he's probably best as part of a two. And he'd probably be a near-perfect partner for for someone like Darwin Nunes. We saw what he did with um, Lukaku. But I I was really impressed by what I saw from this season with Jekyll. And even when Jekyll would drop a bit off and he'd play up against the centre-backs, I thought he showed quite a bit, and obviously recently he's been playing as the nine for Argentina as well. The way he works the channels, the kind of explosive nature of his game, how aggressive he is, is something I really like. Um, I don't know if he's available. He has obviously said he would like to stay at Inter, but Inter have ongoing financial issues. Inter allegedly want to get Lukaku back and sign Dybala, which could indicate that. Latour Martinez is available. Um, price wouldn't be probably too prohibitive. Don't think the wages would be overly painful. Uh, he is a player I like. I think he's got good versatility and gives you flexibility as well. So Latour Martinez is my next one. Yeah, we've spoken about him a few times recently now, haven't we? Between obviously playing against uh, Inter and him scoring a bit of a worldie and all the transfer talk that we usually do heading into the summer. I, I like Laudaro and I do think that he's best as a, a centre-forward when he's got people around him as well. I wouldn't probably play him as a, a lone striker uh, and I definitely think that he's benefited from Inter more often than not playing with two in attack. Um, just I don't think that he is 
the absolutely elite level. And I don't think that I would go that high for him. I would be a lot more comfortable with Liverpool signing Victor Osiman, for example, than Lautaro Martinez. Um, goals aside, I think that there's probably more reliability and more variance in the types that um, Osiman can score than Martinez. I think if you're going for him, if you play two in attack, I think you probably need to say you've got almost four starters because I do see a bit of inconsistency in his game. I do see a little bit of a limit to some of the stuff that he can do in terms of contributing in build-up play and off the ball, all that kind of stuff. Um, positives in his favour. Another South American. We can never have too many of them at Liverpool. We know that. And Sometimes he, he's just got a bit of magic about him, hasn't he? Let's be honest. There's there's sometimes that you just see Ladaro on the ball. A bit like Dybala when he was a younger player, to be perfectly honest. That sometimes you look at him and he can do something completely unexpected, which is totally out of uh, keeping of the rest of the team's performance even, not just his own. And he can just give you the win just all of a sudden by something that he does. That's that's an increasingly rare quality at the moment in the the, the way that football has gone, obviously, with everything being about regimented off the ball teamwork or everything like that which is a good thing when you're really really good at it but can remove some individuality from players he still retains quite a bit of that I think um, but I'm, I'm, I just don't I'm not sure there's something about him that I don't see as a, a really really good fit for Liverpool yeah fair I do think it's fair I think he would definitely require us playing a little bit differently and I suppose I was also looking at this in the sort of what happens if Mo leaves, you know, kind of longer term? What if Mo goes next summer? I think Laturo is someone that can adapt to a different role, even if it's not necessarily, you know, in, in the same type of way that we'd be buying him for. Um, give me your next one then. Uh, well, I, I mean, we've pretty much already covered a semen, haven't we? So my other one would be uh, the winger who could play through the middle as well, and that is Usman Dembele. Free transfer, but not a free transfer. Can play centre-forward, but is not a centre-forward. All the quality in the world, but not necessarily all the reliability in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back and... like the, the talent is just... It's so enticing. The, the kid is... He's not a kid anymore, but he's... If you were to list the 10 most talented footballers in the world, he's in that list, and he's probably in the top five or six like he is gifted beyond belief two-footed his balance is phenomenal he's got that burst of speed burst of speed he can beat defenders in close quarters he is just a sensational player but the red flags they just mount up against him he's injury prone he's immature because of those two things he's inconsistent The wage demands that have leg- allegedly been going around about what he's asking for are also, you know, the type of things that get you in trouble. Like, there's been rumours that he wants somewhere in the 350000 to 400000 range. And if reports are to be, be believed, we've told Sadio we weren't willing to pay him that kind of money. So I don't see us paying it to someone that hasn't earned those wages here. So I think that's one thing we do look at as well is like I think we're happy to pay players bigger wages 
as long as they're earn, they've earned them based on what they've done for us, as opposed to at other clubs. I think it's why we've sort of walked away from certain other deals over the years under Klopp, where just wage demands have gotten to a point where we're looking at it and going, well, that's grand and you're a really good player, but you haven't done anything for us to warrant us paying you that money. You know, you've done it for whoever, Sporting Lisbon or whoever. So, I, I as much as I like him as a player, I do think there's probably too many red flags against his name to gamble that type of money. And I'd also wonder what bringing in a player on that type of wage would do for morale at our club. I know we've got a really strong dressing room, but I do wonder if certain players would look at it and go, well, hang on a sec. Now, I've been here years. I've won a league in the Champions League. I've helped propel this club. And this guy's walking in the door on 100 grand a week more than me, 150 grand, 200 grand. That that type of thing might concern me a bit. Yeah, I think, you know, when we've spoken about it before, we've said it would have to be super incentivized type of mm. contract, you know, where if he's that good and he's capable of being that good, well, then you can earn that kind of money. But you have to do it week after week after week after week and be a big part of a team which wins major honours on a regular basis to get there. And I think that in those situations, whether that's for Salah's new deal or if we are discussing with Mane a new deal in a, an alternate reality, that's fair. You know, it's absolutely fair if, if players are that good and showing you that they're capable of it. And obviously he's a, a lot younger as well, but I would be mm-hmm. really hesitant to do anything other than an incentivized contract with him because of the exact same reasons. I think if you're really going out there and saying, I want 400 grand a week, you're basically saying, PSG, come and sign me. Yeah, and that's the thing. See, if it was a thing where there wasn't a number of other clubs in for him and one or two of them weren't really stupid and one of them wasn't trying to make a big splash because we just got new owners who aren't going to spend the type of money that our previous owner was spending but want to make a big splash to get the fans on board, um, I I think you could potentially go to him with an incentivized offer and say, look, Look at our track record with players in your position. This is the type of money you can earn, but you've got to earn it. Whereas, I, you know, I, I think as things stand, PSG are going to probably have made them an offer. Um, there's been United links. They'll give them stupid money because they're a stupid club. And Chelsea, obviously, with the new owners looking to make a splash, might just be willing to to go and get him, especially considering Thomas Tuchel has a really strong relationship with him from when they were together at Dortmund. And it might be one that just sort of keeps Tuchel in line as well when he starts to get upset that, you know, Daddy Roman can't just give him 150, 200 million every summer anymore. Um, My next one is a winger as well. One year left in his contract, can play both wings, can play through the middle, counts as a homegrown player. We're currently in negotiations with his club about somebody else. Serge Gnabry. Gnabry from Mane. Maybe a little bit of cash thrown in one way or another. Probably us giving them cash because he is five years younger or four years younger. But I think Serge Gnabry is one of the best and most productive wingers in the world. And even the last two seasons where he hasn't been at his best, he is still putting up obnoxious numbers for a wide player. 
And not only that, but I, I think I've said before on, on these podcasts as well, when he plays through the middle, he's, I think he's better. I really, really do. And especially if we are looking at a variation of a two-man attack, he has taken so much um, movement, intelligent positioning and everything else out of his time of Bayern from obviously being relied upon as a, a regular start and forward because look what else they've got. Obviously, Leroy Sane, really, really good, but... Mm. Inconsistent and had injury issues, obviously, when he arrived. And Kingsley Coleman, who uh, less said about his injury issues, the better. I think he's probably technically the best of the lot, but injuries just totally unreliable. Kingsley Coleman might be a top five player in the world if he hadn't he had so many injuries. He's, he's unbelievable. Made. He's unbelievable. But he's got hamstrings made out of cheese strings. So then the yeah. other guy who they're there with was Muller. Now I. I I know he's not like the same type of player, but I see a lot of Muller's movement and positional uh, spaces that he picks up in the final third in what Gnabry has done over the last two years. He's not he's not played so much as a, a wide forward this year, but last year he did and the year before that. And with Germany, with the national team as well, they tried to use him as the number nine since that's you know, the area that they basically had up for grabs the most until Kai just decided he would be it. Uh, and I really do think that if someone played him through the middle, let him a little bit of space to, to move in and drop deep and use him in the channel still, he's not a, a poacher. He's not someone who is going to be really, really good in the air and his hold-up play obviously can be better because he's not the, the biggest, the tallest guy, but he's so good on the ball. His link-up play is really good. His give-and-goes are superb. The his ability to take on defenders from central areas or in the channels, really, really good. And he has an absolutely lethal finish on him as well. He's an unbelievably good finisher. Like, when we signed Jota, I remember, um, I think it was Sam, Sam Maguire showing me a shot placement map. It could have been Dan Kennett either. But, like, his ability to find the corners was incredible. And Serge does that even better. Like, every shot is in the corner. And he's got that Sturridge type of ability to generate, like, unbelievable power with very little backlift. Um, here's my suggestion to you. If Darwin does arrive, since you've already poo-pooed my Nabry suggestion, which I think him could be wrong about. Nabry on the right, <laughs> Salah Nunes through the middle, Diaz on the left. Salah goes next summer for free. We wave him, say thank you very much, goodbye, best of luck at wherever you're going next. You move Surge into the middle, next to Darwin. So you have your in-house Salah replacement, and then you look to bring in maybe more of a playmaker on that right-hand side. Maybe you bring in... Michael Elise has been mentioned in the chat there. Maybe he gets another year at Palace, you bring him in, you play him on the right as that more creative type of uh, player to go with with Trent coming from behind. Nabry just, I think he just makes a lot of sense for us. Like, I know people will say, oh, but he's asking Byron for what X, Y, and Z. But is he though? Is it a case that he's being really greedy at Byron? Or is he asked to be paid the same as the other players in his position who haven't performed as consistently at a high level for Byron as he has? So what I was saying about Dembele earlier when Sane went to Bayern, they gave him a ludicrous contract, over 400 grand a week. And next thing, Kimmich and Goretzka and Coleman are knocking on the door and saying, hang on, 
plus our money as well. Like, if he's getting it, we want it. And they went, okay, here's yours as well. And Nabry, who was there before all of them, sitting looking around thinking, wait a second, where's my money? My contract's up before theirs, and I'm the last port of call here? I'm the one having to wait? I think that's the issue. I think he feels undervalued at Bayern. And I don't think he's the only one because what Lewandowski seems to be saying is that he feels undervalued there. And maybe people like him and Nabry, because they're not the shiny new toy like Leroy Sané, maybe they're just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of expected that they're great all the time. When they perform really well, it rarely gets mentioned. When Jamal Musiala, who's incredible talent, when he is a 7 out of 10 game, the lube is out, the tissues are out, they're all excited about it. And Nabry's like, hang on a sec, I scored two goals. This guy gave me a pass on the halfway line, and he's the one you're all talking about? I think that's his issue there. I think he just feels underappreciated. I don't think he would necessarily want the same type of wage to join us as he wants to apparently stay at Barca, or at, at Bayern, rather. If he's feeling underappreciated there, is he going to get that here? If we have so many other players who have been here all that time and have performed so well and have really big tactical Does roles any player at Liverpool get underappreciated other than Naby Keita? Like, Klopp adores them all. Like, Yeah, that's the thing. If you're talking about inside or outside the club, I suppose that is the difference. Oh, yeah, inside. Inside the club. Because, like, Salah Hamasic seems to be running his own sort of narrative about how, what he wants Bayern to be. It's one of the reasons he sort of forced Hansi Flick out of the club. Nagelsmann doesn't really strike me as a personable sort. He doesn't strike me as the type that's going to have really close relationships with his players. He, he reminds me a bit more of Rafa in that sort of really methodical, straight vision sort of thing, whereas Klopp, well, Klopp is there for the hugs and the cuddles. It's it's not surprising that Hansi Flick, who was also there for the hugs and the cuddles, he loved Nabry, and Nabry loved him. And Nabry hasn't been the same since Hansi left. Well, you know, he's got to get on board with playing for a different manager at some point, so it might as well be at Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. Um, exactly. Like right, question from, from Dell. You have to pick one or the other. For this Liverpool team, and I'm forcing in the stipulation that Darwin is in the team already, do you buy Serge or do you buy Rafinha? Very Forgetting... Right wing. Rafinha. See, that's probably my answer as well, because I think Rafinha can play in a midfield three if you want to drop into that shape. I think he can play the right side at eight. So, yeah, I'd probably go Rafinha as well. Um, Serge would be a bit cheaper, but Rafinha's wages would be lower. Even if Serge comes in on 220, 250... I think Rafinha's wages would be about 150 because he's on probably 60 to 70 at Leeds. So I'd probably go Raf as well. Right. Um, that is my list. So you have, do you have one left or two? Well, two of them are Darwin Nunez and uh, Victor Simon. So it's Justin Kunku now. Right. Well, give me the pitch. 
for Chris from Kunku. I know the pitch, uh, and I'm on board with the pitch. Give the listeners the pitch. The pitch. Oh, I think the pitch has been ongoing on this for about three years now, hasn't it? Maybe more than that. Um, everything, literally everything that you would want in a modern forward player, he has. He's so well-rounded on the ball and off the ball. Versatile performer, obviously, can play right the way across the forward line, can play in midfield. He's played wing-back for Leipzig, for goodness sake. He is able to do it all. One-on-one, defensively, difficult to get past. One-on-one, attacking-wise, can take on anyone he wants. Two and three players beating them as well. And at the end of it, I rarely see someone who is as consistently good in the final decision-making process as Nkunku has been over the last couple of years. His end pass, even if he's like full tilt and on the run, he'll still be able to slip it through between a couple of defenders. He takes the shots on at the moment where it's a, a really good opportunity to do so. His end product numbers have gone through the roof over the last 18 months or so, which is entirely in keeping with most young attackers of that kind of uh, age group, if you like, if you think of how Phil Coutinho, when he joined Liverpool, for example, was so good and creative and really involved in our build-up play. But it was a couple of years later when he really hit the numbers, let's say, when he just started doing everything in the top corner and assisting every other week, all that kind of thing. He has everything that you could want. Plus, he has an absolute knack on him about not really making the grade at PSG and being overlooked by the France national team for far longer than he should have been. Has it all been saying it for a couple of years now. We should have snapped him up before his price went up to 350 million quid. Yeah, so there are some reports out of Germany that what uh, Leipzig would like to do with Mr. Nkunku is have him sign a new contract and stay another season with an agreed buyout that's not obnoxious into his deal for next summer. Um, We've seen them do similar with Timo Werner was the kind of most recent example. Um, would let's say we sign Darwin this summer, and let's say we sign I don't know. Um, let's just say we sign Lavro Meyer to come in and play that creative midfield role, or, or whoever, somebody of that ilk. And Salah goes next summer. Would Nkunku be the perfect Salah replacement to play off Darwin? If we uh, didn't get him this summer, I'm saying. I mean, I think if he came in, he would be much more of a fairly orthodox 10, let's say. I, that's how I would envisage him playing in a, a supporting role. Yeah, because when he plays centre-forward, he plays it by himself more often than not in a, mm. you know, in a three... And that allows him the space to drop deep. It allows him to run in behind when he wants to. It's, it, that's really different to play that role in a two-man attack, though. So you could see him being much more of what he was previously and being a, a 10 or an attacker midfielder all rounds. And the rotation that we would see would be between him and Diaz, for example, or him and whoever it was on the opposite side of the pitch, rather than the two centre-forwards, I think. Because if it's Darwin Nunez, I don't really see him being utilised in a way where he drops deep. Running in the channels, yes, but dropping deeper from centre-forward, not so much, not at all. Mm. Um, so I, I do think it would be a little bit of a different role, to be perfectly honest. I could see, for example, a lot more Diaz moving central and playing in the two with Darwin Nunez, and then Kunku from the left, and that would be a 4-4-2 or 
four, two, four, or however you want to classify it, rather than Nkunku being one of the ones through the middle, if you get me. Mm. So what we're saying here is that we should sign Darwin and Nkunku, play Salah on the right wing and Diaz on the left wing, and just go 4-2-3-1. Salah, Nkunku, Diaz behind Darwin, and everybody's happy. Oh, probably. I mean, I would be. <laughs> and, and of course, then you've got, obviously got the option to flip flip back to the four three three. Yeah, without really any changes at all going on there. And presumably, no, you couldn't quite get it with the diamond if you've got Diaz. I really see Diaz as a ten as such, but lots and lots of options to change things around with Diaz making the Jolington move to box to box midfield. Yeah, not yet. We're all here. Not, not, not yet. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think where we've seen our four-three-three be basically indistinguishable at times from the diamond in previous seasons, I think we're moving much closer towards a, the Valencia Villarreal sort of style, Atletico Madrid that you brought up earlier, of the four-man midfield where it's two central and two narrower from the sides supporting the attack. Not style of play, nothing like that, but just the arrangement of the four in midfield. Previously, you could pretty much see a diamond all the time. We had two slightly wider eights. We had Fabinho at the base and we had whichever centre-forward was dropping in. I don't think it's quite going that way. It's much more of a, a two, a two and a two. Yeah, like a, almost like a box. Um, which could mean that if we did want to get that other player in, someone like Concalves from Sporting could be the ideal one to play sort of that narrow right-sided role. Um, anyway, before we go, a few people have asked us about our midfield show that we did um, and a couple of names that we didn't mention because we, we kind of tried to stick to a list of five. So a couple of names I'm going to give you here as too many alternatives. So the first one here is from Owen Hurley. Uh, Davide Fertizzi, what do you think of him? Not soon enough, to be brutally honest. That's fair. That's fair. Um, look, there's, there's a lot of good talent at Sassuolo, and it seems to be a really good nurturing ground for players. I think he probably needs another year or so. Like, he's only really had the one season in Syria. Previous three seasons, he was in Syria B on different loans, and he, he's always impressed. But I would like to see a bit more of him. He's only 22, so he's got plenty of time. Um, I'm one thing I would say this there, one, just before we move on from him, one thing I would say is that he appeared to me, in the little bits that I've seen of him, he appears to be a lot more an, uh, the, the second midfielder that we've had, the, the Henderson one who can, sorry, the Henderson one, the Diago one who can be on the ball and playing the passes around, do the defensive work, yes, but less defensive mm. midfielder than a distributor. That's what he appears to be to me. But I've not really watched him too closely, to be perfectly honest. He's not one of the ones who initially caught my eye. Right. This is a young player who's come through at Wren this season. And Wren, for those that haven't watched, might be one of the most enjoyable clubs in Europe at the minute. There's a lot of really good players there. Meyer I've mentioned a few times. Martin Terrier. Obviously, we've talked about Jeremy Doku. We've talked about Sulemana. They had Kamavinga. This is their next Kamavinga. I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, Les- Leslie Ugo Chukwara. 
Ugo Chukwu. Ugo Chukwu is his name. Sorry. Leslie Ugo Chukwu. <laughs> Big, rangy, powerful young midfielder. 6-2. Aggressive, promising ball winner. Carries the ball very, very well. Similar build. Similar type of skill set to Chuameni. Would he be someone that, not necessarily to come in and be a starter, but obviously one to come in and be developed. He's been linked to Arsenal. He's been linked to Spurs and a couple of other places. He is very, very highly regarded. Would he be someone that you would think it would be worthwhile for us to consider? I'd be really surprised if we weren't watching him, at the very least, because you know he's a France under-21, uh, sorry, under 19s would it be under 19s international so the fact that he's on the international scene with them and playing pretty regularly means that we'll already be taking a good look at him and making sure that we know exactly what's going on there with his his development two things that i've noticed about him one you look at what type of player he is and let's say kamavinga who was at the same club and the age that he is right now he's 18 so he'll be 19 by the end of next season Kamavinga is already like a couple of years ahead of him in terms of development. So that kind of tells you where he is in terms of Mm. if we went for him, it would basically be a development project for us. It would not be that far removed from what maybe Carvalho is this season. But in fact, he has loads less game time as well. Um, For Ren, he's basically been a a finisher of games, hasn't he? He's come on to do a bit of a holding role for them or a ball-winning work for them when they needed that late on in matches. I actually did see one of the games that he started earlier on in the season, which was against Marseille, but I've only just now realised that looking it up again in preparation for this question because, honestly, Marseille ran, Mar- uh, ran ragged on that occasion. It was 2-0 to Marseille and it was quite early on in the season and Marseille were just swamping people in midfield. So the fact that I didn't actually remember him being in that game, I assume that that is both a positive and a negative and that he didn't actually manage to stop or dominate them but he also wasn't one of the ones who was getting completely torn apart because that was a game that Marseille kind of sticks in the memory from from watching them earlier on this season to be fair uh, we're talking about someone here who played less than 400 minutes in Liga on this season so first yeah. and foremost let's see about him getting some game time at senior level he's not had a whole lot of it yet and maybe in the future see about him being a, a more starting calibre player for that level or far beyond it. I watched that game as well and I remember coming away wondering what on earth had happened to Baptiste Santa Maria, who I loved when he was at Angers, went to Freiburg for a season, came back to France this year with Rennes and literally looked like he'd forgotten how to play football in that game. Um was also noticeable notable for um Dimitri Payet having probably probably the stupidest haircut I've ever seen in my entire life. Um is that it? I think that's it. Oh right, last question before we finish. Uh Curtis Jones. So do you think now I think if I look at our squad and the players we have and say Darwin I don't know that four three three is the best shape for any of them, other than Henderson and Milner. I think Fabinho, Thiago, and Naby are all more comfortable in a, a double pivot. I think Elliot's more naturally a right winger in a four two three one than he is a right sided midfielder or right sided forward. 
I think Carvalho is more naturally a 10 or left winger in a 4-2-3-1 than he is a left-sided forward in a 4-3-3. I think Bobby can play the 9 or the 10. Jota can play either wing or as the, the striker. Curtis Jones is an odd one, though, because he's obviously worked very hard the last couple of years to become a number eight, but his game does lend itself far better to playing that number 10 position. It's what he was coming through, and obviously played on the left as well, but he doesn't really work on the left of the front three. He does work quite well on the left of a 4-2-3-1. Where would you see Curtis's future in a 4-2-3-1? Is he a left winger? Is he a 10? Is he someone we could develop into that more controlling central midfield position? I don't think he'll ever play as a double pivot midfielder, personally. I think there would not be any real reason for him to stick to one role if we played the 4-2-3-1. I think he would play all the way across that line of three, basically. Um, I think we said maybe last season, maybe even the season before that, I can't even remember now, but if we were looking at the 4-2-2, that's the ideal sort of role. And I don't think that it'll be an outright 4-2-3-1 that Liverpool play either. I think the two-man forward line where we've always got one of them or the other one dropping in, uh, to make it a, a one behind a one, let's say it's still a two-man front line, and that leaves space then for the the wider midfielders, let's say, to tuck in and play in those sort of half spaces that they sometimes do now anyway. So I think that those roles are still the best ones for Jones, where he's got space to run into, he's got a role and responsibility to have quite a lot of ball carrying, to win the ball higher upfield, and to be able to make passes into the final third. That's where I think you get the best out of him. Okay, actually, I told a lie. That wasn't the last question. This is the last question. Uh, it's come in. Christ alive, who's it come from? Um, it has come from NFI. He's talking about the about the midfielder show, and he mentions Lucas Paqueta. Now, what about him for that? right-sided eight, right-sided midfield kind of role. So you go him one side, Diaz the other, and then Salah with Nunes. Would that work for you? Is that something you could see as something Klopp would like? I really like Lucas Bagadeh as a player, but I'm more aggressive in five-a-side than he is in central midfield sometimes. Oh, those be fighting words. Those be fighting words. Yeah, they're... It's a funny thing with him because sure, when he was in Brazil and he was sort of been linked with everybody before he went to Milan and he was just this absolute demon presser who just threw himself into everything and anybody. And he went to Milan and it's like they tried to coach it out of him and he got lost somewhere along the way and it didn't really work all that well for anybody while he was there. And then he goes to Leon. He's, he's rediscovered himself, but he's, kind of rediscovered himself as this sort of Swiss army knife who can just play here, there and everywhere. Yeah, he's like almost part playmaker and then part deep-sitting player, but there's just not always a huge amount of intensity to his game, I don't think. We, we know that he can do it. We know what he's capable of doing. And he'll make a tackle sometimes and be like quite fierce in it and quite strong and come away with the ball very nicely. But then there's no massive urgency to his game a lot of the time, I think, which is probably something in that specific third role. That's almost the biggest thing that that person brings. You, know, you think about what Henderson sometimes brings and what 
Klopp sometimes looks for him to do coming off the bench or when we bring Navi Keita on, you know, Thiago can run a game by himself. Fabinho can stop every single attack on the planet. That third one, above all else, I think has to bring so much energy and intensity and movement occupying different spaces in the final third. That's what that role brings to the team. I think it'd be really, really important that whoever does come in or whichever young players are trying to make that their position, that's always what they have. You know, the very best of Harvey Elliott at the beginning of last season was when he was bursting into space, when he was really, really aggressive, uh, closing people down. Naby Keita, around the, you know, the domestic cup final sort of time of season, his best performances at Anfield a couple of times against Man United, so, so energetic, really winning the ball all the time, carrying it, releasing it quickly and getting himself into that final third. I just think there's a little bit of that athleticism and speed of play missing from Pachetel's game for that role. There we go. Radio, anything you want to push before we go? Listen to all our podcasts again. There you go. And um, we will see you next week. Well, maybe later this week, probably next week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go... We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.